You're listening to Switch 1197. My name's Heath, and boy, do we have a treat for you this morning. I'm joined with a very special guest. He's currently working hard on his 40th book. He's graced the airwaves with his knowledge and love of science for over 35 years, and what a pleasure it is to have him here with us today online. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Carl Krishulnitsky. Dr. Heath, good morning. Uh, lovely to be here. Thank you for that fine introduction. I'm not worthy, but thank you. <laughs> You're more than worthy in my eyes there. Um, how, how are you this morning? Doing oh, well? I'm so peachy keen. Fantastic to hear. Well, we, we've been scouring a bit of our social media and I've been speaking to some people over at the universities here in Brisbane just to get a few questions we, we'd like to pick your brains with, if that's no problem. That's my job. Lay it on me. Fantastic. Well, first off, um, you've worked with and inspired so many Australians over the years to embrace th learning through science. But what inspired yourself? Was it just one moment that made you decide, yes, a life of science and education is for me? Or was it more of a gradual shift? Uh, more of a gradual shift. I do remember being awfully impressed when I was 10 years old or something and somebody gave me an astronomy book at a birthday and I thought, wow, okay, I'll just have a look at this book. And I was absolutely astonished at how big Australia was, the world was, because I had no real idea. And then the solar system, what, there's other worlds out there? And then I suddenly thought, wow, there's a galaxy out there. And in fact, in our galaxy, Kepler, uh, the Kepler telescope tells us that there's 1.6 planets per average at least, on each star in our galaxy, that works out to about 300,000 million planets. And then there's roughly the same number of galaxies again. I had this sense of awe and wonder that's never left me. I've, uh, plus I've got an intense sense of curiosity. There's something I want to, going on I want to know about. If there's some world, or, there's a green flame. She's coming out with a green flame instead of a yellow or red or blue flame. Yes. I think, wow, why is it green? So I always want to find out new stuff. That, that's fantastic. I, I, I recall myself, when you first find out the scale of everything, um, though I'm not sure if some of our listeners have seen um, online, we might um, post about it later, but the, the, the size of our sun is huge compared to us, but uh, compared to some of the other stars in the, the universe, it's tiny, barely a dot. Um, thank you for that. Um, what, with, with that type of learning, with that inspiration, that curiosity, how, how can we help others engage and, and embrace a curiosity like that. What, what are some ways that you think we should be, um, instead of traditional education, we should be helping to encourage scientific learning in our communities? Well, I like the uh, concept of STEAM, not just STEM, which is science, technology, engineering and medicine, but A, throw an A in there for arts as well. Definitely. I think it's part of the well-balanced person, uh, along with some exercise. and. I think the basic problem in Australia is we do not value education, whether it's science or the arts. We just don't value education. And we've got to the stage now where the government is giving more money, uh, the federal government is giving more money to private schools than it does to government schools. So if the federal government doesn't value education, then that flows on and we end up with a situation where the teachers aren't valued and everything flows from the basic problem. We do not see education as an investment in the future, but rather we see it as a terrible, irksome financial burden that we have, somehow have to get through. And if it turns out that one quarter of the population don't get a good education, well, we just leave it that way, regardless of the fact that further down the line, it costs over $100,000 a year to keep a person in jail. 
it's 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 heartbreaking when yeah you you look at it and we we don't want to invest in education but uh, i think many many in the uh, government aren't understanding that that's investing in our youth that's investing in our future as you put it there it's definitely something Definitely something we really well, need to focus on, I think, as you've said. Yeah, well, I think they know very well what they're doing. Mm. Um, and it's not just one party or another. Both major parties uh, don't see it a major way to go. Nor do they see investment in the future of the country in general. For example, there's been mention of $1 billion being put aside for um, innovation. And the way that things go, I'd be willing to bet that three-quarters of that will just simply vanish into um, uh, rebates for diesel fuel for mining companies. So we're looking at less than a billion dollars, much less than a billion dollars for a whole year for all of Australia. Samsung, you've heard of Samsung, the oh, company? most definitely, yeah. They spend $3 billion on research and development every three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> right? Wow. We can't even do as much on a company that's got a smaller income than Australia. That's 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 almost insulting when you when you word it that way. That's what I mean. What what can we do to get in the mind of the, this government, um, either either of the parties, and get some change? As just a, a regular Joe like myself or any member of the community, what what do you think we can do to make this happen? To get this change? It's tricky. Um, on one hand, we're seeing the collapse of conventional. Journalism, paper journalism, and we're seeing it moving over into something different. We haven't got there yet, but along the way now, both Facebook and um, Google account for about 80% of all news that the millennials, the so-called born after 1980, not, uh, 1980 account for 80% of how they get their news. That's one way mm. of, of evolving the new media in a way that uh, points us out. The other factor is kind of more interesting where you've got to actually think maybe I should run for politics you see in some parts of the world power power grows out of the barrel of a gun but in Australia power grows out of the parliament yep. and I had to run a federal parliament and failed um, but that doesn't mean that everybody else will and there are good people on both sides of politics and all three or four or five sides there's good people there's bad people so I'm saying get in there be one of the good people but on the other hand be prepared to put up with a lot of flack around election time people will insult you for no good reason they'll make accusations against you without any uh, proof whatsoever and if you do get to be a politician uh, the life is very hard you're up at 6 o'clock in the morning for the raising of the flag at some RSL and 11 o'clock at night you're at some high school dance it's a very hard long life but you have the power to do good whereas most of us don't it's something that somebody's got to do, and I think, as you've said there, the more people who can really get out into it, um, unfortunately yourself, as you said, didn't succeed, but, I mean, some, someone's got to succeed out there, and if, I mean, even if 10 people listening right now put out for it and pushed a bit further and uh, put their names down for, for a position, I think that's definitely a winning way. Uh, you, you also touched on in newer media, the gradual shift going from, you know, a paper a reporting and such over to the online. Um, I, I understand that there's been a bit of a shift as well for yourself. Um, you're now doing a lot more in your podcasts, um, Sleep Geeks, is that correct? 
Yeah, so we've got a bunch of podcasts going. So with the ABC, I've got my Great Moments in Science podcast, mm-hmm. which is a five-minute story, which gets about a million downloads every year. Mm-hmm. We've got the Triple J audio podcast, which gets about three and a half million. And now we're getting the Triple J vodcast, which is doing even more. And I've got the BBC uh, podcast, which also does something. I do about 11 radio shows every uh, eight radio shows every week and BBC is one of them and now we're starting up another podcast as well a Dr Carl from Sydney University podcast so um, reaching out in the other media um, and I think this is reaching out into the new direction where information is increasingly going to be spread out so if you've heard of H.G. Wells that science writer who yes. wrote the Invisible Man and the Time Machine he had this concept of the world brain like the giant encyclopedia that everybody would have access to and he was very far looking very prescient um, and that's what's happening with the internet of course there's videos of cats as well but um, and of course there's just people saying hey here's a picture of the egg I had for breakfast um, please watch it and marvel and and, qu- and tremble at the knees oh you mighty for this is my egg it's a strange world we're moving into but better or worse is coming it's it's definitely a thing to think about when when you look back at all the changes all the um, innovation we've had as a as mankind as a collective and it's all accumulated into here's a picture of my egg and that's what I had for breakfast today but no that that collective collective knowledge definitely the internet's going to be a way to get more thought out there unfortunately a lot of us have to wave through wade through a lot of stuff um but you do get the chance to get knowledge in more bite-sized packets um for example your books for one i'm surprised how do you have the time to work on your books with the amount of radio shows you do well basically it all is part of the package where i uh, firstly work on the background of having 28 years of education mostly paid for by the Australian taxpayer, thank you very much, 15 years at university. And then I read my way through about $10,000 worth of scientific literature every year, which is a pile about a metre thick every month. And that is the basis of finding all these interesting stories I have to spread out to people. Like there's this new moon that's been discovered, a little asteroid that goes around the Earth, not once every month, but once every year. And it's a kind of like a propeller. If you imagine the Earth sort of charging around orbit of the sun, there's this thing like on the tip of a propeller going around very slowly, sometimes ahead of us and on the outside of the Earth's orbit, sometimes behind us on the inside of the Earth's orbit, a little bit inclined. And so we're discovering all these new things all the time. We're just discovering more about the coral spawning, how it seems to be related not just to the moon, but also to the um, sea temperature, working out how come uh, you have that breaking of the seal phenomenon where you go drinking with a few of your mates and suddenly after a couple of hours you find yourself kind of married to the toilet bowl. I'll give you that one in just six words. It's drink a six pack, urinate a ten pack. In other words, for every 320 mils of beer, that, every 200 mils of beer you drink, you urinate 320 mils of urine. So more goes out than comes in, you get dehydrated. Dehydrating, yeah. I mean, as you said, you're going through a, a meter of books once a month to come up with these fantastic facts, this all this breaking knowledge that that comes out in in the science media. How how is it you then refine that down into topics for your books? How is it you're picking these topics in particular? Well, I find the topics that people are most interested or that they ask me about. And so there was one that um, has taken me a long time. A woman rang in and said, "Look, I've just had a splenectomy." 
I've had my spleen removed. It's a little organ in your gut, uh, underneath the lungs, under the ribs, on the uh, left-hand side, away from the liver, which is on the right-hand side. And she said, well, I know that the spleen um, gets rid of red blood cells when they come to the end of their life, but I don't have a spleen anymore. What happens? And I had never heard of the field called eryptosis, E-R-Y-P-T-O-S-I-S, which is um, the death, the suicidal death of red blood cells. And it took me about three hours of reading last night to understand that, just to um, be able to give a two-minute answer to that person when I bring you to Adelaide later this week. That's that's, that's fantastic, really, that... such a simple question really can open such a broad area and I'm sure it's not only just that one answer that you've picked up from you know reading that three hours I'm sure that there's much more you'd be able to go into from just some simple reading like that um, really. oh yeah well I found out what, what the spleen does more I, I had no idea it was that heavily involved in being an immune system organ and you find people who know nothing about it saying oh yeah tomatoes will improve your immune system and they've got no idea what the immune system looks like and this way I'm gradually learning more and more about it. The other big question, of course, what is the difference between a fruit and a vegetable? And there is actually a slightly more scientific answer than a fruit is what you put ice cream on and a <laughs> vegetable is what you put gravy on. <laughs> and what would that be? Um, it's related to the seeds. I'm still reading up on it, yep. but basically fruit are the ovaries of a seed-bearing plant that develop after fertilization, which I don't quite understand. This is a quote from Professor Lorline Ladijes at the University of Melbourne School of Botany. But then she says, if it has seeds, it's a fruit. Okay, so tomatoes are fruit. Is pumpkin a fruit? Yeah, and so are legumes, and um, olives are a fruit, and so are cucumbers. Oh my God, it's so complicated. <laughs> I've got to read more. There's, there's no clean definity, but the, the one thing I'm picking up from this is e- even someone like yourself who, as you've said, been in academia for so long, you've got a master's of biomedical engineering, a major science major in physics, um, you've got bachelor's in medicine and surgery, yet here you are still learning these fantastic things every single day. I, I hope that alone inspires somebody to pick up a book or jump online and just learn one more thing today or one more thing each day. Oh, yeah, well, look, I advise people to um, come to my Twitter page, which is Dr. Carl, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-A-R-L, and just ask questions and join in the fun. We've got a great uh, dialogue going there and very happy to answer questions that way as well. And, of course, there are various radio shows as well. So there's an old saying in science, it's not the answer that gets you the Nobel Prize, it's the question. I, I think that's the, um, the, the byline on your website there as well. You're an answer looking for a question. Sure. Um, Questions are where it's at. That's where you find the true imagination. So if you think, for example, about magnetism and electricity. So we had magnets about 2,000 years ago, which the Chinese would use for navigating. And in Baghdad, which is currently in Iraq, but used to be in Mesopotamia, same place, just the names changed, they had electric batteries for electroplating. The ceramic... Sorry? Oh, they, they, those were the um, ceramic with the like the acids they put inside of them? And they were like ceramic pots, the Baghdad battery, was that right? 
Uh, I'm still chasing up more on that. The Baghdad battery is, you, you, you got a great summary there, and it's, I need to know more. So if you've got a battery, and if you've got a magnet, and if you've got some metal wire, which they had 2,000 years ago, mate, you've got everything you need to make a, an electric motor. Mm. But nobody did it until the 1800s. And so there's all these things that are just staring us in the face. So we've just discovered a few years ago the Higgs boson, which gives the property of mass. Um, and we've proved that there's dark matter and dark energy. And it's just fascinating. I wish I could live forever to find out how these will play out and how our kids and our grandkids will use them as part of their lives. And in fact, it's just part of the background furniture of the day as a toy. It's when, when, yeah, it's, it's really unbelievable when these, these little bits really all add up. You, you, as you put it, they had everything for an engine back then. It, it took how many years to get one up and running in the uh, 1800s? You imagine what we've got now and what, what we might pull out in 10 years, in 1800 more years. Um, you also touched on the Higgs boson there. I, I understand that there's been recent discovery of potentially another particle that throws the, the whole standard model of science out the window. Um, that, that's, I mean, rewriting rules in science, that's something that happens pretty often, is that right? Well, yeah, basically the rule of science is that you hold your theories on the tips of your fingers so that the merest breath of fact will blow them away. And sure, we've got lots of data telling us, hey, this is the evidence for the Big Bang. And we're going along with that. But if we get something, some new data through, bing, out goes the old theory. theory. So with regard to the standard model, what you have is a whole bunch of subatomic particles and electrons and quarks and neutrinos and the like. And the last one needed to be discovered to complete it was, in fact, as you mentioned, the Higgs boson. And this is in subatomic physics. This is, you know, the, what underlies all of physics. But firstly, we've got problems with the standard model. There's things that it doesn't do properly. And there's explanations it doesn't give. And there's a few little quirks that don't quite fit. And secondly, at the Large Hadron Collider, they're beginning to think that maybe there's another particle out there that doesn't fit inside the standard model, which has been, you know, the model for the last half century. Yeah. When I say they're beginning to see, on one hand, it's fairly high significance, three sigma, if you know your statistics is pretty good, um, but for physics we want five sigma, so it's not good enough. The thing is we're seeing it on two different uh, testers, yeah. devices, the Atlas and the CDM or whatever it's called. Two different devices are seeing the same sort of hint of a curve. And if it turns out that this really does mean another subatomic particle, wow, we, we, we've just got to tip everything over. And so our children will be living in a very different world. Um, just consider this, when you go looking with all of the telescopes that we've got, all we can see is 4% of the universe. And by see, I mean, you know, with your eyeballs, yeah. light, as well as infrared and X-ray and gamma ray and microwave and radio and every sort of bit of the electromagnetic frequency we can see. All we're seeing is just 4% of the universe. There's another roughly 25%, which is dark matter. We know it's there, no idea what it is. And another 70-odd percent is dark energy. We know it's there, no idea what it is. Mate, so many surprises waiting for it. It's a bit kind of like when physics was coming up with the, how to solve the problem of the sun. 
mm. way back in the early 1900s. We knew where the sun was, we knew how big it was, we knew how far away it was, but if it was made of something really loaded with energy, like coal, and coal is really loaded with energy, um, if it was made of something really loaded with energy, it would have burned out in only two or three million years. And yet the uh, geologists were telling us that the Earth was at least 10 million years old. In fact, now we know that it's 4,700 million years old, but the geologists are saying, look, it's at least 10 million and probably 100 million. How could the sun burn? And they, people came up with all sorts of potential theories, none of which really worked until they discovered radioactivity. And that let us explain the sun and open the whole world that we're in today. And so we're in the same sort of situation now with the future and with regard to dark matter and dark energy. There's something coming. We don't know what it is. We just have to go down that pathway. And I the people with imagination are going down there and saying, look, that doesn't make sense. Let me ask another question. Mm. And it's, it's that constant asking of the question that is going to bring us further forward as it did back then with the sun. And as fingers crossed, it brings us forward very soon here with what they're doing over at the uh, Large Hadron Collider. Let's just hope another animal doesn't chew through their power cable and set them back six months. Um, Dr. Carl, uh, as always, it's, it's fantastic. I've got a pile more questions here, but time always runs us short. Um, just like to say, again, a very special thanks to you, Dr. Carl, for joining us. Um, Listeners, you can find him on Twitter at Dr. Carl. That's Dr. spelt D-O-C-T-O-R with K-A-R-L for Carl there at the end. Um, always as well, you can find him on the radios. Um, I know that you're on Triple J between 11 and 12 on Thursdays. Um, what other station can they tune in and find you on, Dr. Carl? Ah, all across Australia, from Cairns to Townsville to Gold Coast down to Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide and Perth. Just go to drcarl.com, D-R-K-A-R-L.com, and it's got all my various radio stations. That's fantastic. Uh, Dr. Carl, before we leave, do you have any parting words you'd like to share with people listening? Well, um, there's an election coming up, and uh, what I generally do when I head for the primary school on a Saturday morning is I vote for something that will benefit my children and their children, not just for me in the short term. I try to take the long-term view. Fantastic. It's like keeping that eye out for the future. It's not just for us now. It's for everyone later. Mm, uh, long term. Thank you once again there, Dr. Carl.